Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. I am always a little bit nervous to talk like favorite book stuff, but I'm I'm excited. It's the end of 2020. It's time to reflect back on all of the great books we read. So I'm excited. How about you? Well, I love the idea that you came up with for this episode to kind of avoid having to pick like, <laughs> 10 favorites, which I will do. I actually really like trying to hone down my favorite books every year. I get a weird pleasure from like making those tough decisions, but I really like the idea that you had to share superlatives for our 2020 reads because it's going to be really fun to come up with these books in each category that you've selected for us. But before we get to that, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who stuck with us (laughs) and downloaded episodes despite their lack of a commute this year, who wrote sweet messages and reviews for our growing podcast, and who shared their love of books via Instagram DMs and encouraged us over the course of this weird year and launching our podcast. We love this little community that you have created around the show, and we just can't wait to continue getting to know you in 2021. Yeah, we have big plans and goals for ourselves and our show in 2021. And you can stay up to date with all of that in our newsletter. And you can subscribe to that at novelpairings.substack.com. We share extra reading recommendations and lots of fun things in our newsletter. Of course, you can also keep up with us on Instagram at novelpairingspod. And if you haven't yet, we normally tuck this little request at the end of our show, (laughs) but since it's the last episode of 2020, we just wanted to, to reiterate how much it means to us when you all leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't done that yet, if you could, that would be amazing. It's really easy. It can be a one sentence, super quick review, but any review helps us steadily climb the podcast charts. We loved this recent review from Claire. She said, Sarah and Chelsea are a delight to listen to. They provide a balanced podcast full of bookish education, enthusiasm, laughs, and my favorite, lots of book recommendations. After listening to their poetry episode, I gave reading poetry a try for the first time. Thanks to their diverse poetry discussion and recommendations, I picked out a poet that sounded right for me, Mary Oliver. I fell in love with poetry and my reading life has hasn't been the same since. I have an entire bookshelf dedicated to poetry books now, and I can't imagine my reading life without them. I love this. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. I love this too. Um, I'm so glad you loved Mary Oliver, and I think our poetry episode is our least downloaded ever. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you found it and you loved it, and it really just makes us so happy to hear that we're helping people find the right books and writers for them and changing their reading lives. Couldn't ask for anything better. I know. My heart is so warm fuzzy right now. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to make our hearts soar and you have a free minute, just open your podcast app right now. And while you're listening, write us a little review. It really means the world to us and makes a huge difference in helping new listeners find novel pairings. All right, Sarah, should we get into the books? Yes. I'm so excited to talk about all of these books. And I'm really excited about our superlatives. You already mentioned kind of that we didn't want to do just an official top 10. One of the reasons I um, wanted to avoid that was um, my like official top 10 would all be really dark, moody, literary (laughs) fiction. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'll share that elsewhere, but I want to give a little more variety for our listeners. <laughs> it's important to know oneself. <laughs> I almost spit out my tea, but yes, it is. It's very true. <laughs> Oh, man. This was also a weird reading year. And so I will I need to do some more reflecting on this reading year. I mean, I, I know that I definitely read a lot more romance than I typically do. And I, I like the romance genre. I read quite a bit of it. But this year, especially, my reading was very romance heavy. That's not super reflected here as much as it will be in my favorites. Mm-hmm. But I also read so many brand new books, like really front list heavy. And so, yeah, it's it's just interesting to look back and see the patterns of your reading life. And so I'm, I'm always glad to do stuff like this. Yeah, my, mine too. I mean, unsurprising since I was reading for the Aspen Lit Prize, nearly all of the books I read this year were 2020 releases. Um, and most of the books I'm sharing here, that's that's the case. Um, I did try to pick books that I don't think I've shared as much on for the podcast, but there may be a couple that I just can't resist mentioning again. <laughs> <laughs> that means that they're really, really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with our first superlative, which is best underrated gem. Sarah, what is your best underrated gem of 2020? This is like my favorite category on here, and I (laughs) feel like I could name a bunch, but the best of the best, in my opinion, underrated gem that I read in 2020 is Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. I loved this book so much, and I I got a galley of this book way back at the beginning of 2020. And I gave it away because the cover just didn't, and the title weren't appealing to me. It looks like a boy book. And so I gave it to one of my friends. <laughs> I was like, here, you read this. <laughs> and he texted me a couple months later and was like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. Thank you for giving it to me. Then it was nominated for Aspen Word. So I had to read it and I loved it. So it's a family saga. It's set in Hawaii. There is a family with three children, the youngest of whom has maybe, it's kind of unclear, but he's special and has maybe some sort of mystical, magical abilities. And at least the people in his community believe that he does. And that changes his life and makes him special, but also puts a lot of pressure on him and creates some jealousy or just tensions among the family and the siblings. And it follows this family for about, I'd say, a period of 10 to 15 years. And we see the the kids grow up and what becomes of them. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It brings in some Hawaiian legends that I knew nothing about. I just cannot say enough good things about Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. I have an underrated gem that I actually already mentioned on the podcast. This was a pairing for The Crucible, We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. And I really enjoyed it. I thought that the narrative style was so clever. It was unlike any other book that I've read this year. But I haven't seen it on any best of lists, and I feel like it deserves a little bit more credit, especially for the creativity. And part of me always wonders if books about teenage girls are ever going to Mm. get the literary acclaim that they deserve, because that's what this book is about. It's about this high school field hockey team, and it's all of these teenagers who... (laughs) in a crucible-like twist, pledge their souls to Emilio Estevez (laughs) (laughs) and um, engage in some sort of satanic rituals that they basically read about in a bunch of library books in order to win their field hockey season. 
But beyond that, it's really about identity and friendship and coming into your own. And it's told in, like I said, this really unique style and almost you get a sense of each character in a vignette as you read. And I just thought that the ending of the book was especially satisfying as well. So I recognize that maybe this isn't a book for every reader, but I particularly enjoyed it. I know partly because of my connection to The Crucible and playing field hockey in high school, but I don't think that you need to have a connection to either of those things in order to enjoy it, especially if you are interested in books with a unique narrative structure, a strong voice, a sense of humor, and a high school setting. So that's We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. I um, I still want to read that. All right. Our next category is Best Surprise. And we left this kind of open-ended. So Chelsea, I'm curious how you interpreted Best Surprise and then what your best surprising book was. I thought of a few books that would work for this. We have gone on the record saying we love books that surprise us, whether it's a genre that we don't usually read, that we end up really loving a book in that genre, or um, I don't know, twist endings. Just a book that surprises definitely gets extra marks for me. I went with a book that I had certain ideas about based on the cover and the title and that it ended up being so much more. And I know that I'm not the only reader to say this about this book, but my best surprise of 2020 was Beach Read by Emily Henry. And part of why this book surprised me is because I was definitely expecting it to be a summertime romance, but it ended up being much more of a genre mashup. And then what really surprised and delighted me to no end was all of the commentary, the meta commentary on genre and on writing. And all of that combined with a really great story made it one of my, this is definitely going to be in my top 10 books of the year. It's one of my favorites. I loved it so much. And it's a book that I have recommended over and over again this year and that I kept thinking about and talking about. And that of course makes it, (laughs) gives it more positive marks in my book, but it definitely took me by surprise because my expectations were somewhat subverted in a really good way. So Beach Read by Emily Henry was my favorite surprise of the year. Mm, I loved that one too. And it was surprising. Yeah. I just, I love any book that's really commenting on its own genre and it was so fun. What was your surprise? So I went with a book that I knew nothing about going in And then when I started reading it, I was like, oh, no, I can't do this right now. And then I ended up loving it. So (laughs) it is Enter the Aardvark by Jessica Anthony. Have you heard of this book? No. Okay, so it has a wild premise. So it's about politics and but it's fiction. The main character is a young, handsome Republican freshman congressman who is extremely ambitious. He's also gay, but he's not out publicly because he's worried he cannot get elected in his congressional district if he's out. He is having an affair with this fundraiser, though. And early in the book, (laughs) this is not a spoiler, the man he's having an affair with dies and leaves him a stuffed aardvark, like a taxidermy stuffed (laughs) aardvark. (laughs) And in his quest to get rid of this aardvark so no one discovers the connection between him and this fundraiser who he was sleeping with, he spirals out of control. And The book also flashes back in time to the person who made the taxidermy aardvark in Victorian England and explores his life and secrets and sexuality as well. This book was an incredible surprise because I laughed out loud so often while I was reading it. 
It was hilarious and darkly, darkly funny. Like, pointing out the absurdities of American politics and sexual politics. And I think the book has a pretty dark perspective on human nature, but just portrayed in an absolutely hysterical way that had me just cackling while I was reading. So I loved this book. It's certainly not for everyone, but if you have a dark sense of humor or you can appreciate that, I was nervous about reading it so close to the election. Um, Mm, Yeah. But somehow I, I don't know, it kind of made comedy out of something that is hard to make comedy out of these days. And I was very impressed with Jessica Anthony. So that is Enter the Aardvark. That does sound good. (laughs) As you were talking about humor and laughing at this book, I was kind of scanning the list that we have here. And that's totally a trend with some of the books that I picked out for these superlatives. And I know that I was actively seeking books that were funny and that would make me laugh this year. And that makes total sense, but it's something that I didn't realize until just now. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either, but I I wouldn't say I'm always drawn to funny books, but this year, if a book could make me laugh, especially about something that was day-to-day making me stressed, yeah. um, it got a lot of bonus points from me. All right, well, let's pivot over to Best Debut, and I love debut novels, I don't know what it is about debuts. I just think maybe it's exciting to feel like you're discovering an author and then have their whole entire career in front of you to enjoy. But I love debut novels, so I'm really excited to hear your best debut of 2020. So I really loved You Exist Too Much by Zaina Arafat. This was one that I I think I saw quite a bit of buzz about when it first came out and then it sort of died down. I don't know if it that was pandemic related or people didn't really love it, but um I I could not put this book down. It's about a Palestinian American woman who is bisexual and her mother does not approve. And at the beginning of the book, she she breaks up with her girlfriend and checks herself into a clinic for an eating disorder and for, quote unquote, love addiction, which I don't know if that is a clinical, a real clinical diagnosis. I've heard of sex addiction, other addictions, but I didn't explore that. So just kind of caveat there. I don't know much about that, but that's that is what the book is about is her time in this kind of rehab clinic. And it's really just, it reminded me a lot of like, if you liked Luster by Raven Leilani, which is another fabulous debut from this year, or if you enjoy Sally Rooney, this is a very like millennial book. It's very inward focused um, about, it's a very much about anxiety the pressures one feels from different aspects of one's identity. I really liked how this book kind of explored intersectionality, like what it means to be bisexual and the daughter of an immigrant and combating an eating disorder, all as aspects of the character's identity. I believe she remains unnamed. That's why I keep saying the character. So yeah, I I really loved this one. I'm excited to see what Arafat writes next. That's You Exist Too Much. My best debut comes with a little caveat. I know this author, like in real life, <laughs> Nicole Kronzer is a teacher and she taught at the school where I did my student teaching in Minnesota back in the day, and we've kept in touch since. And she is a published young adult author. Her novel, Unscripted, actually landed on some best of library lists this year. And so I'm really excited for her. And I am also really excited because I know that her next project that is 
I forget the publication date, but it's set for publishing and it sounds very much like I Capture the Castle. Like it would be the perfect pairing if we hadn't already done that. Oh, that's exciting. (laughs) So I'm really excited to see what else she writes. I think that she captures teenagers so incredibly well. Unscripted is about a group of kids who go to improv camp and the um the focus is on Zelda and she is the only girl that makes it onto the varsity team at this improv summer camp and so she has to experience sexism and learn how to stick up for herself and learn about boundaries and the importance of speaking out. So I just found this to be such a great timely read. It was definitely funny and I thought that it captured so well a message for teenage girls that I think many need to hear about how abusive relationships do not always look like physical violence. Things can go wrong in a relationship that constitute abuse. And so this is great YA in that it deals with, you know, sort of a tough topic, but with a light hand and expertly done by Nicole Kronzer. So I really loved Unscripted, her debut. Also, she reads the audiobook. Oh, awesome. Yeah, she so she did a ton of improv and she is an actor as well as teacher and writer and so she auditioned to read her own audiobook and got it and she does all the voices for each character and everything. So that's, oh, that's so cool. Really fun. Oh, I love that. All right. So, in addition to loving debuts, we also of course love when some of our favorite authors come out with new releases. So Chelsea, what is your best book you read this year from a beloved author? I think I might have mentioned this one on favorite audiobooks. If so, double it's favorite worth it <laughs> because it's so good. I love Talia Hibbert's romance novels. I think she is so smart and funny and an amazing writer. And her book, Take a Hint, Danny Brown, was one of my favorites. So sharp and witty. If you love British humor, especially in your romantic comedies, I think that she is an author to watch. And she manages to, like in her first book in the Brown Sisters series, Chloe Brown, Chloe has a chronic illness and Talia Hibbert just handles it so well in the book and writes romance about someone with a a chronic illness in such a beautiful way. I know a lot of readers who felt very seen by that. In Danny Brown, she writes a lot about anxiety and I felt seen by the way that she tackled anxiety in the book and I just think that she's an incredible author and I will read whatever she puts out. So, Danny Brown, I have to say with typically with romance, you don't have to read the books in order. So if you don't feel like picking up Chloe Brown, you can just go straight to Danny Brown without having to read the first one at all. I liked Danny Brown even better, even though I liked Chloe. So take a hint, Danny Brown, especially excellent on audiobook. And I, this is totally a laugh out loud book for me. And is she, is Talia Hibbert pretty open door in her books? Oh, yes. Okay. Especially in this one. It is really, really steamy. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) All right. I went back and looked through my books that I've read, and I realized I haven't read that many books from beloved authors this year. I don't know if it was some of my go-tos didn't publish this year, or I just haven't gotten to them. But I do get to share one of my absolute favorite books of 2020 for this category, which is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I'm sure I shared about this probably in one of our quarterly wrap-ups. I've I've only read 
Maggie O'Farrell's memoir so far. So this is a great one because it's from a beloved author. I knew I liked her writing, but I have her fiction backlist to go check out now that I've read this one. Hamnet is a the story of William Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, who died as a child of the plague. And um, many speculate that because in Shakespeare's time, Hamnet and Hamlet were the same name. I know that's a weird thing, but spelling and pronunciation wasn't as standardized as it is now. So many people, of course, then suspect that Hamlet is based on his son or in some ways kind of an ode to his his son who died so young. You do not need to like Shakespeare or know about Shakespeare to enjoy this book. Shakespeare's name is never even mentioned in the book, actually. It is about his family, and it could be about any family and the struggles of day-to-day life and the heartbreak of losing a child and the bonds of parents and children and siblings with each other and the struggles of a marriage. And, And that's what I loved about this book was that it was really about ordinary life, even though it has kind of this extraordinary historical tie-in. So I adored this book. It will definitely be in my top, top books of the year. And it's sad. So definitely, you know, know yourself and know if this is the right time for you to read a book like this. But if and when you are ready Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell is absolutely extraordinary. I'm excited to pick that one up, but like you said, timing. Yes. I know it's going to be sad, so I don't know when I'm ready for it. Yes. Totally fair. All right. Let's talk about comforting reads because this was not a comforting year. (laughs) This was a year where lots of comfort was required, which for me meant rewatching Gilmore Girls a lot (laughs) and reading a lot of romance. So I am curious to hear what your comfort read for 2020 for a pandemic year was. Okay. I'm I'm changing from what's in the outline. So I'm going to surprise you here. Um, I love <laughs> Mine is One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. Did you read it? I did. I think I listened to that one on audio. Okay. I really liked this book, and I think that there are some valid critiques of it as well, and so we can point you to some of those. But this was like the most distracting book I think I picked up this year. I think I read it in a single sitting. It is about a bachelor type reality TV show. And our main character, B, she is a kind of up and coming or pretty well established, I guess, blogger and influencer. And she is a plus size influencer. And she writes in kind of a drunken stupor a takedown article about this fake Bachelor show. Really just an outcry about the lack of diversity on the show in every possible way, including size representation. And after she writes this, she is asked to come and be kind of the Bachelorette character on the show. And she's hesitant about it, but she agrees. She thinks maybe she can change things from the inside. That's harder than she thinks it's going to be. Um, <laughs> there's a sweet romance, but it's it's not like a typical romance where you know exactly who should be together. Of course, it's like a bachelor type show, so there are multiple <laughs> contenders. What I loved most about this book was the format. So we get chapters from B's perspective, and then we get all kinds of other media. So we get tweets about The Bachelor. We get Us Weekly articles. We get um, co-workers Slack conversations where they're making predictions. And I thought that was the most fun part of the book was just the commentary about the commentary 
around a show like The Bachelor. And so it just felt gossipy and charming and fun. I really liked B. I thought I thought that the book did a pretty good job of showing how sizest and problematic our current entertainment industry is. But there were a lot of hard scenes that could certainly be triggering for people in this in this read as well. So yeah, I really, I really enjoyed one to watch. Distraction really can't be underestimated as yep. <laughs> as a prerequisite for favorite reads of, of 2020. Distraction really is big. Yes. What was your most comforting read this year? All right. This is actually a book that I read in February, but then as I was looking through my records and reflecting... I almost wish that I would have picked this up again or picked it up later because I think that it would have been a really comforting book throughout the year. And it's Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. I really liked this. And I guess this could have counted as a book that surprised me as well. I mean, I like her in general from what I know of her. But it's this collection of little stories and vignettes and personal notes from her. It has to do with grief and anger. She is in some ways mourning the loss of a relationship. And I I think that the grief that threaded through this book really would have connected with me if I had read it later in the year. I, I still really enjoyed it when I read it. But also, I just thought that her language was really beautiful and surprising and funny in moments, and I was just really pleased with it. It was a, a good, it was a good listen. I would like to pick it up on paper. I just thought that I, I think she's a great writer, and I hope that she writes more of these little collections. And I found comfort in it when I was reading it. And so I actually think that it would have been, I I wish I had remembered it better. But of course, anything before March just (laughs) doesn't feel like 2020. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Pre-March. And yeah, I wish I would have been recommending it more to people throughout the course of the year. So it's not too late. I also think that it would be an excellent gift for anyone who is sort of a literary fiction lover or likes memoir or short stories, I I really liked Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. All right. We kind of framed our fall novel pairing season around a back-to-school theme. And so I was curious about what book you read, Chelsea, that made you feel the most scholarly and academic this year. I had to go with Beloved by Toni Morrison, not because I felt like I could understand it all or because I felt smart while reading it, (laughs) not for those reasons, but because I really felt like a student while I was reading it. I felt victorious when I thought that I really got something and I, it made me feel curious and it also just made me feel so small in the literary world and reading a book from one of the great giants of literature. And we, I think the conversations around it being the great American novel that we had on our episode and listening to the Stacks podcast episode, all of that around the reading of Beloved really made me feel like a student again in some ways. And I loved that experience. And it's also a book that I think will make me feel that way every single time that I pick it up to reread it, which I do hope to do down the road. So I had to go with Beloved. I really loved that one. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's just the best. Um, What about you? What made you feel scholarly? I read... On Beauty by Zadie Smith. So after I decided not to teach (laughs) this year, I 
launched a Patreon book club for some Fiction Matters followers. And um, this was the first book we read together. And so the book itself definitely made me feel scholarly. It's set on a campus. Zadie Smith is, this is her reimagining of Howard's End by E.M. Forrester. It's her novel of manners, very much about the quirks and rules of academia and how those can lead to all sorts of ridiculous situations. So I felt like a student reading it, and then I really loved putting together um, some resources and extra things for Fiction Matters patrons so we could dive even deeper into it and chat about it. It was just, it was so fun. And I think On Beauty is going to be like a, an all-time favorite for me as well. I also read it side-by-side side with Intimations, which was her collection of essays about the pandemic. And so that felt very scholarly too. Like it's a very English lit class thing to do to be reading an author's novel and their essays side-by-side. Side. So I loved that experience. All right, I'm excited to hear what you think of your 2020 reads. What book do you think should be in the classroom? So I, I'm i putting like a big flashing red sign on this that I didn't read any books with my teacher lens on. Mm-hmm. And if you're a teacher, you know that when you are reading a book to see if it should be in the classroom, you're paying attention to all of the little things that could be problems and anyway, they just leap out to you more than if you're just reading a book for fun. However, I really, the one that came to mind for me was The Office of Historical Corrections by Danielle Evans. I loved this book. It will definitely be in my top books of the year. It is a novella and then short stories, which I think would be actually a really great format to bring into the classroom. And this book just feels so now. It is about racial inequity. It's about the way we talk about history and what contemporary lens we need to put on when we look at history, but also like how authentic can that process be? It's just asking so many good questions. There are great stories in here about young people and either in college or really early adulthood that I think young people would really relate to and relate to the hard things and hard questions the characters are asking. I, yeah, I think this would be a really fun one to teach, even if you pulled just a couple things from it. I feel like I've been seeing the cover everywhere lately, and I'm really excited to add that one to my to-be-read list. Yeah, I think I think you'll like it. And you can, I think the novella is last in the collection, but I think it'd be fine to like start with the novella and then it kind of gives you a good sense of the themes of the whole book. And then you could go back and, and read this. What is your book that you think should be in the classroom? I think that The Undocumented Americans by Carla Corneo Vincencio would make a great classroom edition. Maybe not necessarily the book in its entirety, but at least portions of it. And not just because it is about undocumented Americans and about immigration, but also because I think that it would be great for kids to read something in her unique voice and narrative style. Her conversational, somewhat informal tone is incredible. And I just think that... (sighs) If all kids read our classics, and if we're constantly making them write only literary criticism essays in formal, dry language, then we don't access the art of literature with them. And I I think that The Undocumented Americans is one of many books that could bring that into the classroom in a really cool way. And I think it would pair really well with some activities of having students 
write similar essays or chapters to the undocumented Americans chapters, like um, having to interview someone and tell a story and create a narrative out of it, or uh, how to insert themselves into something that they're writing. I just think there are a lot of really cool writing things that could pair really well with the book. And yes, it is about like a capital I important topic, but I think it does the book a disservice if if it's just shoved into the classroom. It's like, oh, we're reading this for the immigration stuff. I think that really digging into the incredible writing that Carla Corneo Vincencio does would would make for some really cool conversations, particularly in maybe AP language classes. I think I think there's a certain maturity that would be necessary there. Before we share more of our 2020 superlatives, we just wanted to tell you a little bit about our favorite audiobook subscription service, Libro FM. Libro FM is the audiobook subscription service that supports independent bookstores. When you sign up, you get to select your local bookstore or just an independent bookstore anywhere across the country that you love and support them with your $15 a month and you get audiobooks in return. It's amazing, and we really love them and everything that they do for bookstores and their fancy new app. I feel like they're always updating it and making it better, but not in a way that makes it hard to get used to. (laughs) Very true. Listeners of the Novel Pairings podcast can get two audiobook credits for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the promo code NOVELPAIRINGS, or click the link in our show notes to start supporting local indies with your audiobook purchases. All right, Sarah, let's talk cozy books, because I think that this superlative is one that's going to really carry people forward into the next few months. What is the best cozy book to curl up with this winter? Okay. I'm mixing it up again. (laughs) (laughs) This really just shows my indecision, I think. Um, But The Lovely War by Julie Berry. I'm not sure if this came out last year. I think maybe it did come out last year. But I I, I saw more attention given to it this year. And this is a long book, which I think is great for a cozy winter read. It's YA, so it's a little bit gentler. It's a love story and it's historical fiction. I don't know. It just checks all of the boxes I think of when I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit down and read all day. The book is set during World War I and it follows two couples through meeting, falling in love, being torn apart because of the war. Um, But it's all told through the perspective of the Greek gods which is really cool. And obviously I love it. Um, That takes a little while to settle into, but, and I was worried it was going to feel gimmicky, but I, I think what she did thematically with it all ended up really working for me. And I just loved all of these characters. I don't need to love characters to love a book, but when I think cozy winter read, that is something that I think of like people I just want to spend hours with. And I wanted to spend even more time with all of the characters in The Lovely War. So that is my recommendation. How about yours, Chelsea? I know that people talk about mysteries a lot in the fall with sort of like spooky season reads, but I tend to really like reading mystery in the winter when you've got a snow day and you can't go anywhere and you can just read a book from start to finish propulsively turning the pages. I love that kind of a read. And I also think that certain mysteries just lend themselves really well to winter reading, especially this one. I loved this book. The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman is this delightful British mystery about a group of senior citizens who all live in the same sort of senior apartment complex together. They're not in assisted living, but it's it's like a community, a senior community. And every Thursday, they get together and they drink wine. 
and they work on solving unsolved mysteries. <laughs> oh my gosh. This sounds great. I am all in. <laughs> it's delightful. And then a murder is committed basically in their backyard. And these plucky senior citizens, specifically these two <laughs> two old women, go to the detective station and finagle their way into being involved with the investigation. And it's just incredible. I thought that the actual mystery was really clever. I didn't necessarily see where it was going, which is hard to do when you read a lot of mystery. I thought that the characters were so fun. I thought that the general commentary on age and aging was threaded phenomenally through the book in a way that was subtle but still present. I just really, I really enjoyed the characters. I mean, I would have just hung out with them for a whole book of them meeting and drinking wine at the Thursday Murder Club. Definitely some trigger warnings you might want to look up. Um... It's a mystery, so I feel like many mystery novels sort of come with that. But I thought that it was delightful, and I think it is a good one for mystery lovers and just people who like cozy British books. That sounds so good. I don't read a ton of mysteries, but I I don't know. That premise just sounds so fun. I think it would would tickle your funny bone. <laughs> and it was really good on audio. So, okay, that's what I was going to ask an audiobook. Next. All right. Well, I'm going to add that to my Libro queue. <laughs> All right, let's do best armchair travel. Okay. So, I do want to throw out I talked about Gin Patrol on the Purple Line in our audiobook episode. That would be great. But right now, I am reading this book that I found through the NPR book concierge, which I'm obsessed with. So good. It is called A Castle in the Clouds by Kirsten Gear. I think is how you pronounce her last name. Okay, it has an adorable cover. It looks like it came out of like a Wes Anderson movie. It's like baby blue with a pink Swiss chalet on it. And this book is set in the Swiss Alps. And there's this beautiful old grand hotel that's just like so fancy and and full of splendor. And our protagonist, Sophie Spark, I always want to say Sophie Stark, like mixing Sophie Turner and Sansa <laughs> Stark, but it's Sophie Spark. She is interning there for a year, which means she has to do all kinds of things. Like she has to intern with um, the cleaning department and uh, maintenance every every type of thing. When we first meet her, she's working as a babysitter for the snobby guests' <laughs> children, <laughs> particularly one snobby guest child. And then she um, has a really funny meet cute with the son of one of the hotel's owners. And she gets wind of some mysterious stuff happening around the hotel. It's a YA romance and mystery. It's just super cute. And I love the hotel setting. I have been yearning to go to a hotel. Every time I see a hotel on like a movie or TV show that we're watching, I just like ache a little <laughs> inside. And so with this one, you're not only getting to travel to the Swiss Alps, you're just getting to be in a gorgeous old fashioned hotel, which I also love. So I think this would be another great one to curl up with, but it's fantastic armchair travel as well. That's called A Castle in the Clouds. That sounds delightful. I think you might like this one. <laughs> I think so, too. I went with a Japanese murder mystery in translation. You might recognize this recommendation from our Agatha Christie episode, The Aosawa Murders by Riku Anda. And I think that books in translation are absolutely the best armchair travel that you can get because you're completely immersed in a new culture and a setting in a way that you can't necessarily be if if you're I don't reading a book that's not in translation <laughs> totally. don't know how to land that plane <laughs> but there's there's just this extra layer of immersion that you get when you're reading a work in translation and I think that the Aosawa murders specifically is so atmospheric 
it's not necessarily armchair travel in the sense of like, oh yeah, I want to go there on vacation. Although, I mean, I think it would be super fun to go to Japan, but it is armchair travel in the sense that it really places you in the setting and makes you feel as if you're right there. And so I think that it would be a really fun one to pick up. The Aosawa Murders by Riku Anda. Oh, I love that. I, I really want to read that. I've been seeing it on some best of lists and I feel like you yeah. were ahead of the curve on that one. Um, I honestly didn't even know that it was a 2020 book. So then when yeah. I saw it on the best of lists, I was like, ah, yes, amazing. I feel like I discovered something that I definitely <laughs> didn't. <laughs> um, also, A Castle in the Clouds is also translated from the German. So oh, two nice. books in translation for, for that one. All right. I really like our next two categories. So first we are talking about books that we read that just hit all of the marks that we love, books that fit right in our wheelhouse. What was your best wheelhouse read, Chelsea? It's a book I actually just finished the other day, so it was just good timing. Maybe it's because it was front of mind, but I don't know. I think this one will stick with me for a while. Writers and Lovers by Lily King. It's right in my wheelhouse. There was an element of romance, which I really like in my books, even if they're not a a romance book. Uh, It was a little bit meta. It's a, a writer writing about the writing life, a character to root for, and a lot of introspection. Uh, I found with, uh, maybe it was um, just unique to this year, but I found that I was really liking books in first person point of view that were very introspective. And I felt like it allowed me to get out of my brain and just live in someone else's mind for a while. Hmm. Like I didn't need to escape to a place. I needed to just be in someone else's brain for a while. And I felt like writers and lovers did that for me. But I also think that's because of the strong voice and that's an essential component with books like that. I, I think I need to do a little bit more reflecting Um, in order to share more notes about like why it was just such a perfect book for me, but I just felt like it, it was the right one. Definitely in my wheelhouse. It's, it's literary fiction, but I think that it could also fall in the contemporary fiction category. And I like books that sort of bridge that gap. So that's Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Still high on my list. It's on my literal priority shelf, so. (laughs) (laughs) You know you're an avid reader. You have literal (laughs) priority shelf and the vague (laughs) TBR in the back of your mind. Exactly. (laughs) Um, My wheelhouse book I also just finished. It is Sisters by Daisy Johnson. And it is dark, moody, and gothic. It's also very introspective and kind of twisty, all of those things I love. People might be less familiar with this one, so just as a summary, it's about two sisters, September and July, and something terrible has happened. They've they've done something terrible, and their mother kind of takes them out of school and whisks them away to this old family house where they can kind of rebuild the family. I love a creepy house. So (laughs) that is another box. This one checks. I think the other thing I really loved about this book, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. I love books that are about memory and the stories we tell ourselves as people, like kind of how we um, put narratives to our life in order to try to make sense of things that might not make sense otherwise. And this book really tackles that theme and plays with various literary tropes in ways that just are just brilliant and really make me excited as a reader. So I loved it. Um, If you like really dark, moody books, you might also enjoy Sisters by Daisy Johnson. All right, those are our wheelhouse books. Now, what is a book that got you out of your comfort zone this year? 
Okay, so I kind of randomly picked up Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chang, which is out of my wheelhouse in two ways. It's sci-fi and it's a collection of short stories. And I did discover this year that I love short story collections. I always thought that I didn't, but that was because I would see them, they'd sound appealing, I'd probably buy them, and then I would never read them. And I've discovered that the reason I never read them is it's harder to sell a short story collection on the jacket copy than it is to sell a novel. But once I, yeah, because you just don't get that same like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is what it's about. This is what I'm going to get out of it kind of thing. And when I start reading a short story collection, though, I get really invested. And I loved this collection. These stories, they're most of them are sci-fi, some kind of fantasy-ish. They're all weird and out there, but so good. And also like touching on that question of what makes us human and how do we um how do we make sense of our lives those are the things i like to read about and ted chang explores them in a really really inventive ways one of the stories in here actually it's the title story stories of your life it's the basis for the movie arrival i loved the movie arrival and the story is even better um so i i loved this yeah, got me way out of my wheelhouse, and I'm excited to read more sci-fi and more short stories in the future. How I picked sci-fi too. Yay. I couldn't help it. That's it's totally not my comfort zone, but I loved the city we became by N.K. Jemison, and we've talked about that book a lot. So I'm just gonna leave it there. But <laughs> even if you don't love sci-fi and fantasy, I think that that is an amazing book to pick up for literary fiction lovers thriller readers it was so good and i loved it and i i still think about it which is the mark of a great book so the city we became by nk jemison that was my get out of your comfort zone read i second that okay super quick because we have talked about these at length what was your best reread of 2020 we, we talked about these at length because we both picked books that we read for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite reread was Emma by Jane Austen. Not only because it's one of my favorite books of all time, but it was the book that launched our podcast. And so that will always have those fond memories attached to it now. But I, I love Austen. I find that rereading is not my go-to reading activity. I'm not much of a rereader, but I never regret rereading Jane Austen and I always look forward to it. So Emma, I just think also the movie came out, the new movie came out this year. That was the last thing I did in public before the pandemic. Me too. (laughs) There's a lot tied up in Emma for me this year. Yeah. I think mine is also Emma, but I also loved rereading Beloved. Like you said, it was such a great, experience to to read it and think about how we were going to frame it for the podcast and to be able to really discuss and then listen to other people talk about Beloved and read more about it. That was just great. And I knew I was going to really miss teaching it this year. And so it was really special to have another way to bring that really wonderful book back back into my life. Sarah, I really loved hearing about your superlatives. I knew that I would get book recommendations from this episode. And I was right. (laughs) So many book recommendations. I'm really excited. Same here. Well, we will share our list of superlatives blank so that you can fill them out. We'll share that in our newsletter and maybe on Instagram, all the places. So we would love to know what your superlatives of 2020 were. Fill in those titles tag us, let us know. The best way to tag us is on Instagram at novel pairings pod is where to find us. Follow us there for news and announcements and share novel pairings in your Instagram stories while you're there. That's a really great way to spread the word about the podcast. Don't forget to write a review on Apple podcasts if you haven't already. And thanks for being such great listeners. Yeah, we really appreciate 
you sticking with us this year. And thank you also to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode on Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. Thank you.